Okay, Shalom Aleichem. Be'ez HaShem. We're going to continue the Shiurim. And we're learning now a little bit about Magid. So before we start to learn a little bit more in depth about Magid, we'll just start off a little bit talking about the Hagdama to Magid. The Hagdama to Magid means the beginning of Magid. The beginning of Magid starts off with Helach Ma'anyar. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about this very particular passage, where it comes from, to understand a little bit the Hagdama, how we enter into the level of Magid, because we spoke a little bit last last week that Mitzrayim represents the Meitzar Agaran, the throat, the constrictions of the throat, and the idea of Magid is the redemption speech through which dibur through which speech reaches a level of geula therefore the aria kodesh writes that when we recite the Agada, we should say it with a loud and with a confident voice and the shalom kodesh says this should also be paradoxically also with a sense of trepidation and awe because the zoya tells us in the beginning of shmois that on the night of pesach when the saint we sit down to celebrate the seder Kadosh Baruch Hu Hashem alone with this Pamaya Shalom, with the angels come and they there's they sit and they receive pleasure from the Seder and we're spending and celebrating. So there's something very important about how we speak the Magid. And like we also mentioned last time, the Magid mal, the Magid comes from the word connected to sweetening. That it's a process of sweetening through the metza, through the constrictions to come to a place of sweetening. So first we do Yachatz. Inwardly, the avoida of yachatz, the, the inner work of yachatz means that a person breaks himself in half and realizes that they're only a half a tzorah, like the Torah of the Magad, that a person is only a, only a half of, of an image, and the other half of the image, Kaviyachul, is Hashem alone, the Kaddish Baruch And therefore, when we say Magid, it says, Magid is not called Haggadah, but it's called Magid. Magid means as if it's coming on its own. The meaning means that Hashem is talking through us. And uh, therefore, at, when there's a child that's a child that does not have to ask a question, we say, you open it up. At is the letters from Aleph to Tuf, the Hebrew letters, the Lashem Kodesh. And Apsachlo means Malchus, the Shechina opens up. And here the child asks Ma. So before we start the idea of the Seder, before we start the idea of Magid, we, we are not going to go through the passages of Magid themselves in great length. Be'ez um, HaShem, maybe next year we'll do that, we'll learn the properly the Haggadah itself. But we're trying to go through the Simon. So when I say that means the basic, um, the basic uh, steps, the 15 steps in the Seder. So before we start the Seder, the first thing that we do, we sit down. And we say a passage in Aramaic. This is unlike the rest of our Gala, which is mostly said in Hebrew, which is all said in Hebrew. This passage is said in Aramaic. And what do we say in this passage? We start off like this. We start off, or This is the bread that we ate, that our ancestors ate in Egypt. And there's two versions, two very famous versions of how this is written. Either this is written which means take this bread or 
Now, in terms of the Svirot, the idea of hey, Seir is connected to Bina, and Ha, Comets, is connected to Keser. So this is another reason why there's different customs how to say exactly, do we say Ha or hey? But let's, uh, we're, we're gonna get, we'll get to it in a second. Um, so what do we say? This is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. Whoever is hungry, let them come and eat. Uh, this year we are in Ba'ar. This year we're here, which means we're in exile. Next year we'll be in Israel. This year we're, we're enslaved. Next year we will be Next year we'll be We'll be free. So who are we speaking to? We're simply, we're speaking to the people that are already congregated around our table. And we're telling them that now that you're sitting around the table, come, let's start the process of the Seder, let's start to eat. And uh, it's a very important step that we do. And this is contrast to the way it was done during the times of the Beis HaMikdash, the times of the temple. Because during the Beis HaMikdash time, it was impossible to invite someone for the Seder because the Seder is connected to the carbon Pesach, the offerings of Pesach, and that was Selavai, so you have to be the Menuyah, you have to actually be someone that was dedicated to eat this offering. So we weren't able to do it, but now that we're sitting in exile, we can actually invite people to come. And the Chidah brings down, that when a person starts off the Seder, when he starts off this night, and the way they're starting off is to say that they're going to become a Mashpia, not just a Makabal, they're going to be mashpia, going to be a giver to the less fortunate. Whoever is hungry, whoever is thirsty, whoever is needy, please come eat. So right away, the Chidah says the gates of heaven are of compassion are right away open, and a person is bestowed great kindness and, and godless and chesed. And this also is reminded of the same story that happened during the time of Egypt, where we're ain't on the Das, we were in a state of the Das, our, our consciousness, was in a state of constriction, exile, and we were redeemed despite the fact that we didn't deserve it, and we were poor, and we weren't able to have it on our own, and we didn't work on it, we were given to us. So this is the first step of transformation, the first step of the Seder is to recognize that we're a mashpia, to give to the less fortunate, to ask ourselves, to ask for Hashem to fill us and say that even if we're, we're hungry, and inwardly if we're feeling the need and the lack, that we have a desire to change, with Hashem's blessings of freedom. Now let's start with the actual structure of the of the Heilach Ma'anya, the Heilach Ma'anya. So Heilach Ma'anya starts off like this. The first thing we do notice is that we'll see that it's in Aramaic. That's which is again it's unusual. So the question is, passage completely in Aramaic. If, again, like we're looking at the Rambam continuously, if you look in the Rambam's version, Amram Gon's version of the same, of Halach Manya, this entire passage is in Aramaic. In our version, the way we have it, Hashta Avli, we say this year we are slaves, but we can, or enslaved, but we finish off the Halach Manya by saying, next year we will be free, and we actually say this in the language of Lashon Kodesh, in the Hebrew language. So the whole thing switches, we have to understand why. So first of all, why is this said in the Aramaic language versus the other parts of the Yagada? And the simple answer is, like the Kolboi brings down, 
and that Vudram brings down is that this passage was created by Jews already living in exile during the Babylonian period. It was a period of time for about a thousand years that the common Jewish language was Babylonian. Aramaic was the language of the Middle East for, for about a thousand years. The language for people, both during the Greeks and the Roman periods, the people spoke this language. So even though there are parts of the Agadah, major parts of the Agadah, that are already found in the Talmud, which the Talmud is also the Gemara, which is written post-Second Temple. Um, and those are written in Hebrew. And, the, and the, the simple answer is because those parts of the Agadah were written much earlier, and they're also connected to parts of the Agadah that were actually recited already during, were already recited during the Second Temple, temple period. However, this part of the Agadah was this Helach Mani, this introduction of opening up and saying, this is the bread of affliction, was living already in Babylon, and therefore it was written in the language of the vernacular that people could understand, that people should understand what the Agadah is. And this is interesting because it's brought down in the Shulchan Aruch, the Torah brings it down in the name of Kolonimus, one of the one of the great uh, Rishonim before the expulsion of Jews in London in, 12, in 1290, um, that he used to recite the Agadah in English. This is ancient English in the 1290s, um, that means that the Agada was very important that we should understand what we're saying. So this is why we say it in this language. So, but the only question is, why do we s change it at the end? We start off saying, this is the bread of affliction, whoever's hungry, let him come and eat, etc. This year we're, we're here, next year we'll be in Israel. This year, this, this, this year we're here, next year, next year we'll be free, and we switch the language into into the language of Lashon HaKodesh, to Hebrew. Why do we switch that language? This is a, this is a question. So the Kolboi writes, one of the Rishonim writes, that the point was that we should not say next year will be free. The, the intention was so people, lo, the local authorities in Babylon should not think that this was some type of call to arms or some type of rebellion. So if we would say next year, and uh, and that next year will be free. It sounds like we're trying to say that we're going to start rebelling on this Pesach. So to do that, we switch it into Lashon Kodesh. This is what the Kolboy writes. So obviously the question is, who are the authorities that are sitting at the Seder? Uh, why are they at the Seder? And if they're at the Seder, we can explain to them that it doesn't mean that. It means that Hashem should redeem us. It doesn't mean that it's a call for arms. And... Um, and uh, the, 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 the bigger problem is, like the Maral points out in Gur Hashem, Nun Aleph, they says that we say next year, Hashanah above Ar the Yisrael, we say next year in Israel, we do say it in Aramaic. And uh, so people do this, so they will understand what that means. So it's obviously not that, that, that cannot be the reason. Um, this is one question. To understand this, switching of languages, and we'll understand there's some great depth to this idea of Lashon original the origin or the original language versus the translational language. Uh, we have to understand what does it mean, this year we're in slaves. We're saying that this year we're, we're slaves, and next year we'll be free. But isn't the whole idea of the Seder to celebrate freedom? So why are we talking about slavery? Even if we're talking about our mental, spiritual, emotional, physical oppression that we may be experiencing, but why do we start the Seder with that? If tonight is all about 
tonight is all about the freedom. So let's go through the passage. The passage has three basic ideas. First idea is saying that this is the in Egypt, number one. Second thing that we say, whoever's hungry and whoever is needy, let them come and eat with us. That's number two. Number three, we say this year we're here, this year we're enslaved, next year we'll be free, next year we'll be in Israel. These are the three passages that we have to understand. Like we said, many Mukubalim, many Kabbalists, like the, like the Chida, the Ben Ishchai, and a lot of the Sfarim Mukubalim based on the Arizal, and the Ari himself in the, in the Nusuch of the Ari, we say not Halach Ma'anya, but Heilach Ma'anya. The difference between Ha and He is besides that grammatically it means something else, He means uh, take this, this bread that we ate in, in Egypt. Halach Ma'anya means this is the bread that we ate in Egypt. Like we said that Ha is connected, the, 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 the vowels are connected to the spheres. So the vowel of Kometz, Kometz Pichem Ledaber, it has to do with a high level of of, of Keter, of Kati Lezer, that you're, you're, you're closing down, is connected to the vowel. So Ha is Kometz, and He is Tzere. And the He, the result connects to He Lechazera, which Yosef said when he gave the seed to the Egyptians when they were complaining that. So He Lechazera, this is a tikkun for that, which we spoke about in the past many times. Um, this is the difference between between these two versions. The the classic version of the Arizal, which is also the Chabad version, is to say Hey Lachmani. It's interesting that the Rebbe Rashab, fifth Chabad Rebbe, used to sometimes most of the times you would actually say Hey Lachmani, but sometimes you would also say Ha to connect to that sphere of Kesser. But let's try to understand what actually this passage means. What does this mean? Hey Lachmani. What does it actually mean? So we say this is that our ancestors ate in Mitzrayim. But the question is, what does it mean this is the bread? This is not the bread. This is thousands of years later. It's not that bread. So therefore, the Mogad of Rome writes in Tafai and Gimel, the Mogad of Rome brings down that um, Tafai and Gimel Chavdal, it brings down that there's certain people that don't want to say the word Heilachmani or Halachmani. They say Kiha. This is like, this is similar to the bread that we ate, we ate in Egypt. So they don't say the word Halachmani or Heilachmani, but it's similar to the bread. Just like in the, that's like in Egypt, we ate this bread. The same thing also, we're eating this, this poor bread. And the Mogad of Ram concludes, and he, he talks about this, whether this means literally or not, when you say Ha. Or hey, this is it, and he says that um, therefore a person that says kiha didn't didn't really do something negative, but it's not such a bad idea. Now the the reason for the Magen Avram's ruling is 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 the Magen Avram has his, his reasoning because Magen Avram says that ha doesn't actually mean this, but the Alter Rebbe in Shulchan Aruch writes something interesting. He says yes there are those who say kiha um, like this is the bread that we ate in Egypt, or ha this is like kilachma anya, because because this is not actually the bread that we actually ate in Egypt. Lefikach, the Alter Rebbe writes. Therefore, even though the regular nusach, the regular version of the of this passage is halachma anya, 
However, however, someone who says like this bread or this is like this bread, didn't didn't ruin anything and it's not such a bad idea. The obvious question is on Alter is why talk why specific why why specifically do we do say that? Why you should specifically say keha like this? Why would you say halachmani? This is the bread when it's in fact not the bread. In other words, why why the the, the version should have been changed keha like this bread, not halachmani. This is the actual bread. We have to understand it. The second question is. Let's say that the reason why we say halach ba'anya or halach ma'anya, this is the bread, is because we say later in the Agada, which we bring every generation, every year, a person every day has to experience the going out of Egypt as if they himself went out of Egypt. So therefore you can say that when you say halach ma'anya, this is the bread as we left Egypt, I'm experiencing right now the going out of Egypt. So my experience of the going out of Egypt now, this is the bread that I ate. And this is what the rabbi actually is medaic and says this is that that's this is the reason for the ruling of the altar rabbi. But the, 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 this, so that's why we say we can say ha, oh, we can say this because it actually we're really experiencing the going out of Egypt. Okay. The only problem is a klotzkash, a very simple question. What does it mean, This is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. Since when did we eat matzah in Egypt? When did we eat the matzah? We ate matzah on the night that we left Egypt. When we were, leave, when we were leaving Egypt, that's when we ate the matzah. We didn't eat the matzah in Egypt, not as slaves. We didn't eat matzah as slaves. And again, if you look in the, the version of the Rambam, which I hope some of you have in front of you, you'll see that when the Rambam writes this halacha, this law, he writes, He has an introduction. He says, in great haste, we left Egypt. This is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. Which means, according to the Rama, what the Rama was basically doing, he's saying is, this is not actually the bread that we ate. This is the bread that we ate as we were leaving Egypt. Which is pshat. Okay, our version doesn't have that. So therefore, we have to understand, what does it mean that this is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt? So the Pasuk in Dvarim Tezayim, Gimel, says like this. Lo yiseichel of chametz, shivas yamun toichel of matzis, lechem oini. Ki bechipazin yatsum im eret mitzayim, because we left in great haste. Which means that why do we eat the matzah? Remember what we talked about from Gamliel, the, the narrative of the story of why we eat the matzah? The story why we eat the matzah was because we left in great haste. So we left, when we left Egypt, we ate the matzah, not in Egypt. However, the Ebenezer, and it's quoted by the Abarbanel, and it's quoted by the Shalak Kaddish, and others quote it, writes that in Egypt, in Egypt, we actually ate matzah. What does we see that we eat matzah? So the, the story is of the Ebenezer, that he was uh, he was a prisoner. He was he was uh, he was on a boat, and he was captured by bandits by, and. Um, and he was placed in a prison in India somewhere, and he was fed these these uh, these matzahs, these flat breads. And he said, when he ate the bread, he realized that this bread lasts in the stomach for a much longer period of time than regular bread. And he realized that probably this is the reason what it means that this is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. That means that the Egyptians fed us 
matzah, not bread. This is what the Ebenezer writes. And the Sephorna, which is also from the later Rishonim, from the later Rishonim, he writes on this Pasuk in Dvarim, he says, Lechem that the Sephorna writes that the nature of slaves is even if they're breaking their own bread, they bake it very quickly because they don't have time in their hands. Because they don't have time in their hands, they do things in a rush. So therefore, the slaves actually ate matzah in Mitzrayim. This is what the Ebenezer writes, and this is what the Sephorna writes either because it lasts in the stomach for a longer period of time, or because a slave doesn't own his own time, so therefore he has to do things in great haste, and, and because he has to do things in great haste, he's, he doesn't allow his bread to, to rise. Now it's interesting that chametz in general, the idea of bread that's risen, and then it too brings it down in Yom Shefer on the on the Agada, is that chametz in general, the idea of chametz of bread that rises, is represents a food of royalty, because it represents leisure that there's time and you have processes, which in which matzah means you have to do very quickly. So it means that there was no there's no options. They have to do things very quickly. It means that they were enslaved. Contrary to the idea of chametz, which is a law is royalty. And what's even really more interesting is that the Egyptians were the first people to actually learn how to ferment bread and, and, and wheat and yeast. So the whole idea of bread itself, the concept of bread is actually an Egyptian idea. But who ate bread? Who ate the best mentioned, the better people, the, 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 the slave owners ate the bread. What did they give the slaves? Like the Ebenezer says, either they gave the matzah because it's basic ingredients, or they told them to bake your own bread, or to give them the least ingredients possible, and it took the quickest period of time. And that's why the bread, the matzah represents bread of affliction. This is bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt, represents bread of affliction. And the Echtzachis, you can say that bread, the matzah actually goes through a whole process of being beaten and afflicted. You first on the flour with the water, then you push it down, you make it flat, and then you poke holes in it. And then it's punctured and it's thrown into the fire. So it goes through a process of beating. The entire, the entire idea of matzah represents bread of, of affliction. Now, this is one of the reasons, these are the reasons that, according to Evidence and the Sephorna, why we call this bread of affliction. Comes the Maral, in Gvuras Hashem, Nunalaf. And the Maral says, Me'echetesa, where do you learn this? How does the Evidence know this? This is not mentioned in the Torah anywhere. It doesn't mention the Torah anywhere. That the Jews ate matzah in Mitzrayim. That as slaves they ate matzah. It doesn't say anywhere. And second of and and, and so and, and he says no. That's not that's not the reason. It cannot be the reason. The Torah would have told us. And this is the reason why it's called matzah because we ate it in Mitzrayim. So he says no. That the reason why matzah is called lechem oini. Ma oni beprusa. So the idea of oni is represents a poor man's bread. He says because matzah has. The least ingredients possible. It's it's because it's so raw and it's just flour and water. It represents the poor man's bread, but paradoxically, it also represents the free man. Why? What is the difference between someone that's what's a free person versus a person that's not a free person? What's the different definition of a person that's not free? Is a person that is life 
is intermingled and is mixed up with another person. Which means when your life is not your own, you don't own your life. There's, there's a master, there's someone that's enforcing you, maybe it's a boss or someone that's an abusive personality, and this person is ruling your life. So inwardly, also the same also with our emotions. If our emotions are guiding us, enforcing us to be a certain way, even though our minds understand that from an objective place, we shouldn't be this way, and we're enslaved to our emotions, which means that we're using our life. We are not, we are not, we need other ingredients to choose for us. Which means the life becomes mixed with other things. So the morale says that the definition of matzah aniyah versus matzah ashira, poor man bread, is when there's no milk and sugar and eggs or anything else. And it's just simple. But the simplicity means that it's free. There's a difference between being the cause of your life, which we said that's the, the tachlis, the, the intention of the seder is to get to a place, place beyond seder so we can be the cause and not the effect of life. And the effect is to be a slave or enslaved. It could be external slavery, internal slavery, whatever that means, that means you are in the effect of life. The same thing also with the idea of time, says the morale. If I say that this, in order for this, this cake or this bread to be fully baked, it needs a certain amount of time. It needs a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever long it takes. It means that in order to exist, it needs something outside of itself. Something that has less time or needs less time and needs less ingredients represents something that's more free because it could just be without all the elements of time and space. Same things also with matzah. The fact that matzah is simple, the fact that matzah is just flour and water and takes the minimum of time to rise, minimum of time to become, represents freedom. So the morale is saying that what the, the, the bread is actually bread of freedom. So let's take these two interpretations together. Saying that the Eben Ezra's interpretation and the Sephora with the Marala, what it means is like this, that in the depth of their slavery, in the matzah that they ate because it lasts in the stomach for a longer period of time, and the matzah they ate because they had no time to rise, that itself is the, the kernel of their freedom the, 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 the source of their freedom, the light that comes freedom is, is precisely in that place. The remedy is within the sickness. And this is why the idea of haste, when you look at the idea of haste, of zrizos or, or behilu, like the Ramam writes, behilu means like in great haste, in, in commotion, could be something that's negative, it could be unfocused. The, the idea of Someone talks with 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 great haste. Like the Balshemtov says, You have to lose the mehera, the quickness, because that represents something that's not settled. Just you do it right away. You don't understand what you're doing, and without, without consciousness and without without thoughtfulness. And then there's something that's called zrizos b'mesinos. You could do something in great haste, with great with great calmness, with great mindfulness, great presence. Which means you do things right away when it has to be done, but don't do it before it has to be done. So haste itself, we have these two elements. It could be something that's a negative thing. It could represent a person that's not conscious, that doesn't have das, doesn't have awareness, or lacks awareness, therefore everything is in chaos. Or it represents someone that does something that is exactly when it should be done. Like Zrizus, the proper idea of alacrity, proper idea of doing something quickly. Like Avram Avinu, 
when he's told we learned Zuzus from Avraham Avinu, and when does what? But the, but the night before he goes to sleep, he's told to bring the the Akeda Yitzchak to the Akeda by night. But that night he goes to sleep very peacefully and he sleeps very nicely. By Yashma he gets up in the morning, which is when he starts when he knows when he can start journeying, which is in the morning. That's when he gets up to do things in the correct time. So this is the idea of the bread Helachman. So when we say Helachman let's go back to we say this is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. So what this means is that we have these two interpretations. Either we'll say this, in fact, is the Egypt, like we said, because it's the bread of a slave. It's a bread that lasts in the stomach for a long period of time, and a bread doesn't have to, doesn't have time to rise. But however, we would say, like the Ramam writes of Yatsum that it represents the bread that we ate as we're leaving Egypt. And if you look at the the, the Ramak, Ramayshu Kadavero and Tfilu Ramayshu, so he says when you say, this is the bread of affliction, he says we're not talking literally about the matzah itself, we're talking about everything. The whole idea of the seder, raw vegetables and an egg and, and salt water, all of these foods that represent, says uh, all these foods that represent cement and, and hardship and difficulties, these are the foods that we ate. But simply, the pshata, the, the literal interpretation of this means this is literally the bread that we ate. So we can say like this. We'll, we'll take both these interpretations, both the bread that we ate at, as we're leaving Egypt, or as we left Egypt, which means, represents bread of freedom, and the bread we ate as slaves in Egypt, and we'll say that it represents the place of in-between as we're leaving Egypt. There's a process where things are, are changing. If you look at the, the, the prusa, the broken matzah, and you look at the Torah Sarizal, the Arizal writes that you break the matzah, which we spoke when we talked about, we talked about yachatz. You break the matzah and you break it into two halves. One half is broken into the shape of a dalit, and the other half is shaped like a little vav. Together, that's the letter hay. But when they're broken in half, the dalit represents dal, which is poor. And what you do with that broken piece of matzah, that becomes the afikamit. So you hide it, you tuck it away, you put it away for tzafan, you hide it. And what the idea of the of the hiding is, is that it's it's in it's a state of ibor, it's in a state of pregnancy, which means it's hidden away and it's 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 developing, it's it's forming. Then we go through the whole process of magid, which is from the mates agar, from the place of constriction, we're to, we're receiving godless. Then comes at the end of the seder, or the end of the eating, and we eat it. When we finally eat the afikoyman, we actually bring those two parts of the matzah that were broken apart, and said it was like a broken dollar of love, and now they're shalim, they become part of the hay again. They become part of the godless, which means the process through which the poor man's bread, the bread of affliction, actually becomes the bread of redemption. And this is what happens so there's a delicate balance between these two, between being bread of affliction and bread of slavery and bread in the state of slavery. And then there's the process of this becoming actually the bread of freedom like the Maral writes. And this is the in-between state. We left as we're leaving Egypt, between the state of Egypt, which is Katnas, and the state of Godless, which is leaving Egypt, in this in-between state, that's when we're starting to eat this, that's when we're eating this bread. Just like Yecheved, the mother of, 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 of Moshe, was born 
between the Choyma, between in that in-between place, because in order for redemption to occur, you needed Moshe Rabbeinu, who was born from a person that was partly born outside of slavery in Eretz Yisrael, or coming from Eretz Yisrael, and partly Mitzrayim. Moshe himself is Yarkein Ish. Now Moshe is, looks this way and that way, which means that Moshe is born as a Jew, but raised as, as an Egyptian, which means that he has also these two identities which can merge both freedom and slavery. And in that place of in-between, that's where redemption occurs. That's where we have to eat the matzah. And matzah represents this, this unity between these two ideas, between matzah ani and prusa, dakib ani, that, that idea of bread of affliction and bread of poverty, and also the bread of redemption. And that's why... Again, going back to the Rambam, the Rambam rules and Rambam Gong rules that when you eat the matzah, you dip it into charoises. Charoises represents the cement and represents the slavery, like the Gemara says in Psachim. So why do we dip the matzah, which represents the bread of freedom, which we're going to eat later, charoises, because that's the unity between these two opposites. And this is how we begin. We say, this is the bread of affliction, and we recognize that there is still a state of affliction, that the world is still not redeemed, that the place of the, the, the world maybe we we feel ourselves more free, but the world itself is not free. And we're saying that this bread itself represents or embodies the same quality that was the bread of affliction is also in the, its kernel is the bread of redemption. And this is why we continue to say, Lovers hungry, let them come and eat. What are we saying? We're saying there's a, there's a possibility in the world for hunger, for affliction. There are people that are starving, people that are not are not are not satiated. So we we look to the world and say that tonight we're celebrating freedom. Tonight we're celebrating the idea of cheirus, and yet there are people by contrast that have nothing. So first of all, you give them something. And generally, what a slave receives, his owner receives, because their life is intermingled. But here we say that you can actually receive something. It's already a gift that you can receive. But on a deeper level, what we're saying is like this. That we're sitting down to the Seder to say that it's a night, it's a night of freedom. And we start off by saying this is the bread of affliction, this is the bread of poverty. And tonight, there are people that are still starving. Because we're, we're, we're saying that that even though this is the bread of affliction, just like the bread of affliction had the kernel of redemption, the same thing also tonight, the reason why we're celebrating tonight, despite the fact that we're still in exile, is because in the depth of tonight, of the depth of night tonight, is the kernels of, of redemption. And this is what we say. This year we're in exile, next year we'll be in, in, in Jerusalem. This next year we'll be free. This year we're here, next year we'll be in the land of Israel. They were saying that there's a movement between, and we're embarking and say there, we're giving a, we're, we're thinking about what was going on, and we're saying, yes, that maybe we're now slaves, and maybe we're now not in a redemptive state, and maybe we're not in our homeland. But next year, and next year, what does next year mean? Next year means tonight, in this moment, in the next moment. We're already having our, our, we can already experience freedom, and we already will experience freedom, because the beginning of redemption occurs in that moment of, of, of the darkness. And tonight is the night of, of going out of Egypt, 
So even though the fact, even in fact that we, we feel ourselves hungry, we feel ourselves uh, needy, and we feel we feel the hunger of the world, and we feel the deprivation and the affliction of the world, that it's time, it's better affliction, but it's also better freedom. And tonight, even though we feel we feel here, we know that next year, which next year is next moment, we're going to experience redemption. And this is why we conclude with Lashon Kodesh. Why do we conclude with Lashon Kodesh? The Shana, Shata Hacha, Shata, and then we say Shana, there's a change. There's, there's going to be a change that's going to happen. That there's a reality where redemption and connection and rootedness is already we're already experiencing. And Pesach opens up that gate for that freedom. Pesach opens up the gate for that yichud. In general, the difference between Lashon Kodesh, the holy language, versus the other languages of the world, that the holy language represents the language of creation, the language of revelation, and the language of redemption. Targum, translation of language, represents an exile state. This is what Arizal writes in Shagavanas and Kaddish, and the Shalom brings down in that the whole idea of Targum, of translation, represents the backside. The, the Ramak also brings down in, 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 his, in his Pirush that that we start off with, with Aramaic, it's like the Sari HaMishtalech that we're giving to the, to the other side, to the Sitrachar, like the same thing like we do on, on Yom Kippur with the, with like the Zohar says and the Ramban says, but, but the idea of it is that Aramaic, which is a translation of the Hebrew, represents the other side, represents the side, the side that's still in exile. So we, we start off in saying that even our language is in exile. Even our ability to speak is in exile. And is, is in exile. That the redemptive language itself is in exile. Or else for to truly experience our freedom, we're saying, this year here, next year we'll be free. We speak it in the Lashon Kodesh. We speak it of creation, revelation, and of redemption. This idea that we start off saying in the language of Aramaic is is goes back even to the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim itself, to the going out of Egypt itself. When when Yisrael were leaving Egypt, the the language of, of Revelation, which is through Ma'an Torah, uh, was still in was still in exile. And that language, even though Lashinullah but the idea of the language, the full expression of that language, like we spoke previously in Magi, that the whole idea of that the language is in exile, there's a Galas Dibur, that Dibur only becomes revealed in so the language itself is going through the process of an exile and a redemption. Now let's go a little bit deeper. We said before that this bread that we eat on the night of, go, of, of tonight, that we, we speak about, this is the bread of affliction. We say that this bread itself has both these elements, has the elements of, the, 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 of exile and of affliction and prusa, brokenness, and also has the kernel of its freedom. Which means that it's a bridge that links these two, and this is interesting. This is what Aramaic is. The morale, Echadosh Agados and Soitim at the end writes that Aramaic is one of these languages is that it doesn't belong to any nation. It says that it's a language that belongs to all. When the Gemara says in Megillah that it's a Umash Elam Ksavaloshin, it's a people that don't have a language and a, and, and, a, and, a, and a written a written an alphabet. 
So the morale explains that this is a language that belongs to everybody, which means that Aramaic itself is sort of the intermediary language. It's the language through which Chazal, our sages, actually spoke to Gemara. It's the language which was written, which means that even though it's not Lashon HaKadosh, the full redemptive language, it's the language that bridges these two worlds of the elevation of the 70 languages of the world into the, into the language of Lashon HaKadosh. So this is actually the same concept of the matzah itself, that the matzah, which is the matzah of affliction, the matzah of, of anius, is actually the same matzah that brings us to the place of freedom. So it's the bridge that's moving us to that place. And that's what we do on, on the Seder night. We say, now let's go back slowly to what we said. We start off the Seder saying, with the recognition that there's, there's, the world is not redeemed. The world is not redeemed. Things are not good. Things are not in, in its perfect state. There's still exile. There's still people that are hungry. There are people that are thirsty. People that are needy. One of those people that are needy, spiritually, we're needy. And we have that desire to be filled. But we start off in saying, so then why are we celebrating the Seder? If we don't have any freedom, what's the, the objective of the Seder? We're saying, just like the Mitzrayim, just like in Egypt. This is the bread of affliction that we ate in Egypt. Which with this was the bread that we ate because we were slaves in Egypt. Because this is the bread that lasts in the stomach for a longer period of time. This is a bread that we can eat that doesn't need any time to rise which represents a bread that we just have. This is a bread that's, that's a bread of slavery. Yet, as the morale says, this bread that's, that's a poor man's bread, because it has no ingredients, it has no time, is actually the bread of freedom. So we say, despite the fact that we feel ourselves in slavery, enslaved, internally or externally, emotionally, existentially, physically, emotionally, any, any level that we, we're experiencing, despite the fact that we see that the world is not in a redeemed state, we should know that this is the bread tonight we're going to celebrate this matzah this precisely this matzah even though it's thousands of years later it's the same kedusha with the same holiness the same spirituality this matzah has this like the matzah that Claudius Yisrael ate when they left Egypt we're going to eat this matzah and say that this is the bread that is an affliction yes it's poor man's bread but this is the bread that's the kernel of our freedom so why are we celebrating today we're why are we celebrating tonight we're celebrating because despite the fact that we feel ourselves in exile we can cross over that bridge, move from the place of exile to redemption, move from a place of from questions to answers, move from a place of katnas, constriction, and small and mazer and, 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 and limitations to a place of merchav, to a place of expansion. This this is what we're eating, and this is what we're celebrating. Hashem gave us the gift we can experience godless. And even though Ashata Havdin, this year we're slaves and this year we're here, Lashana Abba, our language will be free, our expressions will be free. We could speak in the Hebrew language, in the original language of creation. We could speak in the language of redemption, the language of revelation, the language of creation. We all are becoming redeemed. This is the process of, of what we're experiencing tonight as we're celebrating. So next year will be free. It's not just a wish and a hope and a desire. We're actually, it's a confirmation. We're saying it. We're creating it. Tonight is the night that we receive our, our freedom. And this is the of the entire Seder that before we even start to recognize what we're doing and how through tonight we can experience godless and this is the next thing that we're going to go very quickly with just a few minutes we'll talk about this very quickly then we'll go that the idea of the of the whole Seder starts up with, with Manishtana 
with a question. Now, what exactly is Manashtana? Why specifically these four questions? And who asked the questions? Which we talked a little bit last time. But the saying is that tonight is a night of questions. That that uh, that if you have a child, the child asks you a question. And if you don't have a child, your wife asks the question. If you don't have a wife, you ask yourself the question. But it has to be come through a question. A question is an uncertainty. A question represents exile. Something that's not that's locked. Something that's not revealed. And then you have to ask. The main thing is to ask, like the Rambam, the Rambam writes, We pour the second cup, and now the child asks the question, Ma, the question, the child has asked the question. And the, the reader of Dagbada asks, Manishtana But what the child is, is asking, what is this night different? Period. Forget about the details. This night. And the Marami Panu writes, the Marami Panu writes, that the real, the real question, and the only question that the child is asking, and everything that we do is for the child to ask that question, for us to ask the question, is why is this night the order different? Why is this night are we gifted godless before Katniss? That's the question. Why this night is the night of our freedom? Why this night can we achieve freedom? Why this night can we be free? Why this night can we be b'nei charim? This is what the question that the, that the child is asking. Why can we reach a place of yichud, of clarity? He wants to understand this, this question. And, that, and this is what we have to bring out. Through the Magid, we have to speak about it to reveal that godless. And the question is, Manishtana halayla zeh. What is halayla zeh? Halayla is the language of feminine. Hazeh is the language of masculine. In general, shira or shir represents masculine or feminine song. The idea of, of, the, of the masculinity not men or women. Masculinity represents something that's certain. That, that's the redemptive state. That's Zohar Avon. Malchus represents a state that's become, that's constantly a state of flux, of being filled with desire, of chukka, of yearning, of longing. Tonight, Halayla is Azeh. Tonight, the feminine is actually the masculine. We have godless immediately. And that's the question. Manishtana, why? What is happening about tonight? And the answer is because tonight is like the night that we left Egypt. Tonight, we're gifted to receive freedom and this is the ultimate what we go through the entire agada and then we finally get and we're not going to go through the agada because we really will go through the simani agada we get finally to the end of the agada almost to the final part before we do the blessing is we say dayenu what is dayenu dayenu means enough this is a a, a small passage that uh, that many people say that goes back to the times when some migdash already was composed and uh we don't know exactly who composed it it's interesting that in the rambam's agada the Ram himself does not have Dayenu in that Agada, enough, this, this passage of Dayenu. But the Rambam's son, or Ramban Aram, writes that his father actually did say Dayenu. And that was the meaning of Svar, of Jews in Egypt, of Jews in Svar in Spain, to say. So everyone asks questions about Dayenu. And all the Dayenus, we're not going to get into the details, because I want to talk about the, the general idea. Talk about the of, of Dayenu, we say, if we brought us to, to Mount Sinai and we didn't give us the Torah, Dayenu would be enough. Or if we went through the, the sea and it wouldn't, the sea wouldn't split, would also be, it would also be enough. So all the, everyone asks the question, how, what does that mean? What what, what we, we achieve? And there's a lot of Terutzen, there's a lot of different answers to these questions. But there's a bigger answer to the question, answers all the questions. And that is, Dayenu actually means it's enough. That's it. It's enough. Ah, it's not enough? Okay, it's not enough from the perspective that it's not enough. On the Seder. There's one level of the Seder we're talking about. We want to change and everything has to change and we have to move into the future. And we're desiring into the future. Magid, we're building up the vessels for the God. 
believe. And then there's a higher level that's revealed on Pesach night, which already that you are redeemed already. That it's already Gula. That you already experience in Gula Pratis, that the future is ready in the present. Vidayenu, and it's enough. I, from the place of lack, and the place of desire, and the place of longing, the place of cotness, and the place of questions, it's still not enough. That's true. That's from the place where there's still longing. But the place from Dayenu, it's enough. And this is what ultimately we get to the point of the Dayenu. The Dayenu, this, therefore, there are 15 steps in Dayenu corresponding to the 15 steps of the Simone Seder. So it's like a conclusion of that idea. When we come to the final level of the 15th step of the Seder, we say Nirza. Nirza means it's already accepted. We arrived. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. We already reached the peak. That's the level of revelation where it's, you're already experiencing redemption in the present. Thank you for listening to Ralph Pinson's podcast. To submit questions or to sponsor a future episode, please email ralphpinsonpodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the description below. Thank you.